Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, listener mail. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're bringing you some of the messages that you've sent in over the past couple of weeks. Uh, Rob, if you don't mind, I'm going to kick us off today with a message from Albert that addresses uh, at least a half dozen uh, subjects. All right, let's have it. Uh, hit us with the, uh, uh, with the birdshot that is Albert's email. Okay, Albert says, Hi, Robert and Joe. It's been a while since I wrote in, and I have much feedback. And I think we're going to skip over a section or two of the email to condense, but maybe we can start with these comments about our episode on the invention of the mirror. Uh, Albert says, I'm surprised you did not mention the dreaded iPhone selfie image. Okay, I thought hmm. we did, but maybe you're right. Um it goes on. I personally hate it that it is always a mirror image, not obvious unless you see lettering or wearing an asymmetric clothing, such as the Japanese kimono, where it is always worn with left over right. In the iPhone selfie, this becomes right over left, and the only time you wear a kimono right over left is when you are dead. Ghosts in Japan also wear the kimono right over left, as they are usually wearing their white funeral kimono. Hmm. I'd never heard this before. No, me neither. All right, subsection three concerning the invention of the chainsaw. Albert says, you mentioned the limitations of the circular saw in this episode, but in cartoons, they will cut through beyond their center attachment point. Remember we were talking about that was one of the limitations of like using mm -hmm. a circular saw to try to cut down a tree is they've got to be mounted from the middle. And so you can only go like half the diameter of the, uh, of the saw into a tree. But Albert is correct. Uh, uh, he has attached a clip of Speed Racer showing Speed Racer's Mach 5. I guess that's the name of the car. I never really watched Speed Racer, so I don't know anything about it. But uh, this scene is showing it, – it's like the scene in James Bond where they show you all the new gadgets on the car. This is like a collection of here's what the Mach 5 can do. And in this clip, one of the things that happens is it pu puts out a couple of circular saws on bars that are sweeping around in front of the car as it drives. And it shows the car just plowing through a forest of giant trees, just cutting right through them without even slowing down, which was very funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I guess we touched on this a little bit, but but cartoon saws and chainsaws and circular saws are just unstoppable. They'll just cut through everything uh, like a like a hot knife through butter. Okay, now regarding our episodes on crabs, uh, Albert says, you mentioned you wanted to know about any crab stories. I remember one from my childhood, a Japanese folktale called the Monkey Crab Battle. Uh, and then uh, he, he attaches some links. And so on this one, I sort of went deep. I went and found a translation of the story, and I, I wrote up a little summary here that we could uh, relay to you, because I know, Rob, you were, you were burning for more crab folktales. <laughs> So the monkey crab battle, also known simply as the monkey and the crab, is apparently a, a classic uh, Japanese fairy tale. There, there are apparently many variations with different characters and plot details. So the version I'm about to tell is by no means definitive. This is just one that I happen to find in, in a full text English translation. So this is the translation by Yei Theodora Ozaki, which uh, and I think I, I've read that this one might take some liberties with the source material, but it'll give you a gist of the story. 
It begins, there were once two friends, a pink-faced monkey and a yellow crab, and they liked to play together by the riverbanks. And one day, while they're playing around together, the crab finds a rice dumpling, and the monkey <laughs> finds a persimmon seed. The crab holds up his rice dumpling, and he says, look at this nice thing I found. And then the monkey also shows off the thing he found, the persimmon seed. But inside, the monkey is immediately jealous because he wants that dumpling. Uh, persimmons are one of the monkey's favorite foods, but you can't eat the seeds. They're just, you know, hard, crunchy, you know, it's not very good. Um, so he tries to convince the crab to trade. He's like, hey, wouldn't you rather have the seed than the dumpling? And the crab says, no, I would like to keep my rice dumpling. Thank you. But the monkey comes up with a plan because monkeys, uh, as often, it's often the case in these stories that monkeys are crafty. Mm -hmm. Scheming. So the monkey says to the crab, and this part's a direct quote from the translation, how unwise you are not to think of the future. Your rice dumpling can be eaten now and is certainly much bigger than my seed. But if you sow this seed in the ground, it will soon grow and become a great tree in a few years and bear an abundance of fine ripe persimmons year after year. If only I could show it to you then with the yellow fruit hanging on its branches. Of course, if you don't believe me, I shall sow it myself, though I am sure later on you will be very sorry you did not take my advice. Advice. And this does the trick. The crab is persuaded to trade, and the monkey takes the rice dumpling and gobbles it up immediately, hands over the uh, persimmon seed to the crab. And then the crab takes the seed and plants it in the ground. And then we cut to years later, where the crab's patience has paid off. One spring, he finds his persimmon tree full of glistening ripe fruit. But there's a problem. As a crab, he can't climb the tree to get the persimmons, so he's just gazing up at them. They look delicious, but he can't get to them, I guess because he is not an arboreal species of crab. But he knows somebody who is very good at climbing trees, the monkey. So he goes and he finds the monkey, and he asks if the monkey will climb the tree and bring him some of his persimmons. The monkey agrees, but the monkey is not a very good friend. He climbs up in the tree, and as soon as he's up there... He's like, nah, no, I, I'm just going to eat all these myself. He's hungry, and he just gobbles up all of the ripe persimmons until there is nothing left but the green fruits, and the green fruits are as hard as rocks. And this whole time, the crab is frantically running around the base of the tree, calling out to the monkey to remember what he promised. And apparently this is annoying to the monkey, so he begins to pelt his crab friend with unripe persimmons. Again, these are as hard as rocks, and so when they hit the crab, they, they wound him. They, they bash him up real good, and eventually the monkey pelts the crab with so many unripe persimmons that he dies. Oh. That, that's a dark turn. Yeah. Now here's where it actually turns into like a 70s-style grindhouse revenge flick. Uh, the crab's son comes along and finds his dead father's body. I should mention, I think in some variations of the story, at least, it's the it's the crab's mother, not father. But I'm not sure about what the frequency of those variations is. Anyway, in this version, he finds his, his uh, crab dad's body and he, he weeps bitterly. And he looks around and sees the persimmon seeds littered all about. And he knows that it must have been the monkey that killed his father. And he swears revenge. And then there is sort of an assembling the team mo montage. The young crab recruits his friends to help execute the plan of revenge. And his friends are, uh, again, this is this list of friends is another thing that varies by version. Uh, but there is a bee, like a honeybee, mm -hmm. a chestnut, 
a mortar, like like a mortar and pestle, like a, okay. a stone mortar. And then some versions also include some kind of slippery substance like a pile of cow dung or a puddle of oil. Okay. All right. So this is quite the team involving uh, animals, vegetables, uh, inanimate objects. Um, right. Yeah, slime or dung. Okay. <laughs> Which I love. So they hatch a conspiracy. Uh, meanwhile, the monkey is uh, off by himself. He is congratulating himself greatly for getting away with his crime. And he, he, you know, he thinks himself so clever. He's like, well, I killed that crab and nobody's ever going to know. And later he is invited to a feast commemorating the life and death of the elder crab. And starting here, I'm going to read directly from the Ozaki translation. Maybe we'll do some voices for the characters. Okay. Quote, the feast over, he was next invited to the tea ceremony room to drink a cup of tea. When the young crab had conducted the monkey to the tea room, he left him and retired. Time passed, and he still did not return. At last, the monkey became impatient. He said to himself, The tea ceremony is always a very slow affair. I am tired of waiting so long. I am very thirsty after drinking so much sake at the dinner. He then approached the charcoal fireplace and began to pour out some hot water from the kettle boiling there, when something burst out from the ashes with a great pop and hit the monkey right in the neck. It was the chestnut, one of the crab's friends, who had hidden himself in the fireplace. The monkey, taken by surprise, jumped backward and then started to run out of the room. The bee, who was hiding outside the screens, now flew out and stung him on the cheek. The monkey was in great pain. His neck was burned by the chestnut and his face badly stung by the bee, but he ran on screaming and chattering with rage. Now the stone mortar had hidden himself with several other stones on the top of the crab's gate, and as the monkey ran underneath, the mortar and all fell down upon the monkey's head. Was it possible for the monkey to bear the weight of the mortar falling upon him from the top of the gate? He lay crushed and in great pain, quite unable to get up. As he lay there helpless, the young crab came up, and holding his great claw scissors over the monkey, he said, Do you now remember that you murdered my father? Then you are my enemy, gasped the monkey brokenly. Of course, said the young crab. It was your father's fault, not mine, gasped the unrepentant monkey. Can you still lie? I will soon put an end to your breath. Uh, and with that, he cut off the monkey's head with his pincher claws. Thus, the wicked monkey met his well-merited punishment, and the young crab avenged his father's death. All right, all right. That's, that's pretty good. <clears throat> I applaud it as a, a strong uh, crab-centric uh, folktale or myth or what have you. Does this have a moral? I was starting to think, like, uh, I mean, I guess the monkey, uh, the, maybe the moral for the monkey is like, hey, don't uh, betray and kill your friends or else you will you will meet a similar fate. I don't know. It kind of started off feeling, you know, like kind of like uh, Aesop's fables, but then it ended up feeling more like a, a Shaw Brothers picture. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess the the lesson is don't trust monkeys or uh, <laughs> even if they're uh, they're they're they, they have uh, you know a good what seems to be a good uh, you know business offer for you because ultimately mm -hmm. like the the monkey's trick pays off for the crab he's just betrayed by the monkey a second time right that's the funny part so you think the monkey has tricked the crab but everything the monkey said was true like he mm -hmm. gives the crab in the long run the better deal 
Yeah. Uh, but then he just he just cheats him a second time. Yeah. Hmm. Anyway, to finish off Albert's email, one last note. Uh, he mentions the Dunwich Horror. He says, for some reason, I remembered this movie being in black and white. After watching it, I remember thinking that film is a very hard medium to adapt the dread and horror of Lovecraft's mythos. You clearly like Lovecraft, so I can recommend Dagon. It is an adaptation of uh, the novella The Shadow Over Innsmouth, and then attaches a link. Okay, that's it. Thank you, and keep up the great work, Albert. Uh, Albert, I it's been many years now, but I do remember enjoying Dagon when I was in college. I think it's one of those movies that's maybe not great in every way, but it, it has some things that, that really work. I remember it having a kind of... Uh, pleasing color contrast because most of the sets and and locations in the movie are are very kind of uh, dark and blue and green. You know, the colors of the sea or like caves Mm -hmm. in the ocean. But the main character wears a bright orange sweater and that always stuck in my head. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah, it's a a fun flick. It is, um, it's a Stuart Gordon movie. So you can go into that, you know, you're going to get a certain amount of... uh, of grisliness and gruesomeness, uh, but it, yeah, it has some fun monsters, some over-the-top gore, and it has a um, echidna-style mermaid, if memory serves. So that's a pretty fun one. Um, I haven't seen this one in many years, but uh, I was always partial to the Dan O'Bannon-directed uh, film, The Resurrected, from 1991, which, um, who, let's see, who starred in that? Oh, yeah, it had, um, it had Chris Sarandon in it. Hmm, I, I've not seen that one. Like I said, it's been a long time. Uh, I think when I saw it, it was on VHS. So uh, I'm not sure if it's aged well or not, but it it may have. I mean, it's Dan O'Bannon, so it has that going for it. Totally. Now, speaking of of, uh, Dan O'Bannon, who is also uh, uh, another one of his uh, his films that he directed, it's worth noting, is is of course The Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Uh, So here's a little bit of listener mail from uh, Alan. Alan writes in during the podcast, and this is responding to our Holy Undead episode from back in October, uh, which, by the way, is also a holiday episode. So it's both a Halloween episode and a Christmas episode. So oh, if you didn't right. listen to it then, listen to it now, or maybe listen to it again. Um, Alan writes, during the podcast, I recall you wondering why a bunch of pious undead would attend services, but then also try to attack and kill the living who accidentally wander in. Presumably, the undead want to live, unlive, as much as anyone, and having been discovered, realized that the living would be a huge threat to their continued existence if word got out, so they would need to eliminate any source of leakage that arise. Uh, the deceased sister would, of course, feel the need to warn her living sister. Ah, uh, okay. So, uh, under your idea here, Alan, uh, the, the reason somebody might wander into a, a night service of, of the pious undead listening to a sermon in the church, and then they, they attack her— because they're afraid that if she spreads word, people are going to come in and, I don't know what, do do an exorcism or something that will not allow them to dwell there in the church anymore. I guess, but the other stories seem to suggest that the church is, or at least the, the regional church, is powerless to stop the undead. So, like, what are they going to do? They're afraid the Pope's going to show up and uh, squash everything or, uh, you know, or, or some higher member of whatever uh, the... Um, uh, you know, the, the church organization is in place. Um, it's, it seems like they kind of get whatever, they get to do whatever they want because they own the night. It's good to own the night. Yeah. Uh, this reminds me, we did hear from another listener, though, who was telling about a uh, a local folktale about a parish somewhere in Poland where um, uh, 
I think the idea was that the priest was believed, the ghost of the former priest was believed to haunt the the churchyard because it had never been consecrated, and then once it was consecrated, uh, he his spirit could leave or something. Am, am hmm. I getting that sort of right? Do you remember? No, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes I guess there are things that the, the undead actually want the church to do on some mm-hmm. level anyway. I guess it depends on, like, do you want to keep hanging out at the church or do you want to move on to the, I don't know, the afterlife or wherever else you're supposed to go? Yeah. And then what afterlife are we dealing with? Are we dealing with, like, the, the <laughs> right. new Christian afterlife? Or uh-huh. remember, these are ideas that are, that are kind of embedded in older systems of relief. Are we talking about something a little grayer, a little um, uh, maybe less appetizing? Or maybe something that is a little more like uh, the midnight mass itself, you know? In, in a sense, this is the afterlife. They're already there, and it consists of going to church in the middle of the night when the humans aren't around. Uh, another way of thinking about it is maybe they're afraid if word gets out to all the living that they're doing these things, the living are going to, everybody's going to come swarm to see them and the, it'll just get too crowded in there. You know, it's yeah. like they were the restaurant principle. Sometimes you love a good restaurant. You kind of don't want people to find out about it. <laughs> Okay, we got one message regarding our Weird House Cinema episode on Bloodbeat. Uh, this is just a, a quick little hello from Maria. Uh, the subject line was, just to say hello, parentheses, Bloodbeat. Uh, <laughs> I have to thank you because today's episode of Weird House Cinema was so hilarious. I was walking and laughing with my dog. Uh, I, I hope that doesn't mean your dog was laughing as well because that sounds demonic. But Maria finishes <laughs> saying, lots of love from Italy. And then she attaches an image of her dog, uh, this, uh, we don't know the dog's name though. I would like to know this is a, a, a gorgeous looking animal that is, uh, lying down in the snow and chewing on a blue plastic toy of some kind. Looks like, uh, it looks like this dog is having a great time. Yeah. I don't know if this dog laughed. I don't think it would necessarily be mnemonic. Seems like a, <laughs> a good dog. No, I mean, this looks like a great dog. This is the kind of dog that would not laugh because dogs don't laugh. (laughs) Everything is serious to dogs. All right, uh, here's the one from Matt, uh, who also wrote in about Bloodbeat with the subject, Bloodbeat, A Better Way to Hunt. Good day, fellas. The Weird House episode on Bloodbeat was hilarious. I've not seen it, but love your description of the chaos. I'm an active hunter, and no, the way the film portrays hunting strategies is rather off target. There are many ways to hunt deer. Alone, in a group, moving and stalking, standing still, in seasons designated for specific tools, uh, archery season as opposed to rifle season, for example, uh, etc. Rules and times change from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. For Bloodbeat, though, these things don't matter. A fun film is a fun film. I hope to give it a watch in the near future. Thanks for the show and your time, Matt. Oh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, if you're if you're looking for a holiday experience, viewing experience like Bloodbeat, um, nothing but Bloodbeat will do. <laughs> it's the reason for the season. <laughs> All right, we're going to go ahead and close the mailbag on this one, but we'll be back in the future with more listener mail. Uh, Just a reminder that our core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind air on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Wednesdays, we do The Artifact. That's a short-form episode. On Mondays, that's the listener mail. And on Fridays, that's Weird House Cinema. That's when we set aside most serious concerns to just discuss a weird film such as Bloodbeat. You know, I think technically this is going to be our last listener mail of 2021, right? Uh, I believe you're right, yeah. But we'll read plenty more of your messages in the new year. Yeah, so keep them coming. Keep them coming. 
Huge thanks, as always, to our wonderful audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to uh, potentially get a message featured on a future listener mail episode, uh, just to say hello or to suggest a topic for an episode, any of that, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts are wherever you listen to your favorite shows.